welcome to the Grand Point Church Podcast. We're a church serving the South Central Pennsylvania area with a mission to help as many people as possible take their next steps to find and follow Jesus. If you aren't already, make sure to connect with us online through social media or at grandpoint.church and let us know how God is moving in your life. Now, let's check out this week's message from Pastor Lawrence. Morning, Grand Point. Great to see you here this morning on this very first Sunday in February. This is a big month, isn't it? Fabulous February, Super Bowl Sunday, right? Groundhog's Day, Valentine's Day, President's Day, all that coming up here in February. A lot lot of things to celebrate, right? Speaking of Super Bowl, uh, that's today. Most of you know that. And uh, what I learned was they're letting about 25,000 people into the Tampa Bay Stadium, and then they're going to fill the rest of the seats with cardboard cutouts. I actually thought about doing that at Grand Point. You know, I, I love this idea because we have about half of the people coming back. And so let me just speak directly to our online audience here. By the way, welcome. Church, would you uh, welcome our online audience today? We love you guys out there. And listen, online, listen, I know that not all of you will be able to come here because you're watching from other states and even from some other countries, and we welcome you into our services. But I know that there's a lot online this morning that would be here had it not been for this COVID season. So here's the deal to all of you out there. If you're not back by Easter Sunday, that's April, we're going to do some cardboard cutouts for you. See, I know where you sit, and I can place those cardboard cutouts here. See, this online thing is not fair. You get to see me. I just don't get to see you, and we miss you. We miss those people that are not here. I'm glad that you're here because if this whole thing were cardboard cutouts, man, the singing wouldn't be near as great. The response wouldn't be quite as good. But listen, we love you guys at home. We do miss you and can't wait till you're back here. And it's coming. It's coming. We're going to get through this together. But welcome all of you who are here. Uh, we love, uh, you know, we, we keep talking about things getting back to normal. I saw this great post this week. And it said, just when, when we said we want things to get back to normal, that did not mean Brady in the Super Bowl again. Right? <laughs> But he's there anyway, so uh, we're going to uh, just kind of worship together this morning. And this is our new normal right now, a lot online. By the way, last Sunday, we had about 1,800 visits to our online service throughout the week, about 1,800. So online audience is huge, and we love what's happening. And uh, this may be something that will be here to stay anyway, but we hope that you can be back as soon as possible. So we're going to join uh, another thing that's happening here in February is this brand new message series called The View. And The View is simply how we see things. It's our point of view, how we look at the world around us, how we see God, how we see ourselves, and and all of that. It's The View, the point of of view. I got to share a story with you this morning. It's an actual, it's a true story uh, from a British guy. And I'm going to just tell it in the first person because that's how it's written. And this will help set up what we understand to be a worldview. So here's the guy, he writes this story, and he says, I'd gone to catch a train, this was April 1976 in Cambridge, UK. I was a bit early for the train, I'd actually gotten the time of the train wrong, so I went to get myself a newspaper so I could do the crossword, a cup of coffee, and a packet of cookies. I went and I sat at a table. I says, I want you to get this, I want you to picture the scene. It's very important that you get this clear in your mind. So here's the table, here's my newspaper, here's the cup of coffee, 
and the packet of cookies. Now, there's a guy sitting opposite to me at the same table, perfectly ordinary looking guy wearing a business suit, carrying a briefcase. It didn't look like he was going to do anything weird at all, but what he did was this. He suddenly leaned across, picked up the packet of cookies, tore it open, took one out, and ate it. Now, this, I have to say, is the very sort of thing that the British are very bad at dealing with. There's nothing in our background, upbringing, or education that teaches you how to deal with someone who in broad daylight just stole your cookies. You know what would happen if this would have been South Central Los Angeles, right? They would have, there would have very quickly been gunfire and helicopters coming in and CNN and all that. But in the end, I did what any red-blooded Englishman would do. I just ignored it. And I stared at my newspaper, took a sip of my coffee, tried to do a crossword puzzle, but I just couldn't think. I couldn't think of anything else other than this guy across the table eating my cookies. So in the end, I thought, I'll just do nothing. I'll do nothing. I'll just have to go for it. And I tried very hard not to notice the fact that the packet was already mysteriously open. So I took a cookie out for myself and ate it. And I thought, that will settle it. That will settle it. But it didn't. It didn't because a moment later or two, he did it again. He took another cookie. Now, having not mentioned anything the first time, it was somehow even harder for me to raise the subject the second time around. Like, no, no longer could I say, excuse me, but I couldn't help but notice you don't do that the second time. So he says, we went through the whole packet like this. Now, when I say the whole packet, I mean there were eight cookies, but it felt like a lifetime. He took one. I took one. He took one. Then I took one. Finally, when we got to the end, he stood up and walked away. Now, we did exchange meaningful looks, but after he walked away, I breathed a sigh of relief, and I sat back in unbelief of what just happened. A moment or two later, the train was coming, so I tossed back the rest of my coffee. I stood up, picked up the newspaper, and underneath the newspaper were my cookies. Now, then he writes this, and I love this next part. He says, the thing that I particularly like about this story is the sensation that somewhere in England, there has been wandering around for the last quarter of a century, a perfectly ordinary guy who's had exactly the same story, except he doesn't have the punchline, right? Here are two men living in the same world, having the same experience, but believing two different things based on the lens from which they view the story. And that brings me to the definition of what that we're going to use for worldview. By the way, there's many definitions for a worldview, but we're going to do one that's very simple, one that I believe is memorable, and it's simply this. Worldview is the lens, the lens through which we view reality and make sense of life and the world. In other words, it's any ideology, philosophy, theology, movement, or religion that provides an overarching understanding to reality and what makes sense of the world. So when we're looking at the world around us, we're looking through a particular lens. And by the way, every single person, whether subconscious or conscience, does have a worldview. Everyone in this room has a worldview, right? A personal worldview is that combination of all that we believe to be true. It's taken everything that we've learned, everything that we've experienced, everything that we've understood to be true, and that is the way that we see things. 
And what we believe then becomes the driving force behind every emotion, every decision, and every action that you and I make. Therefore, our worldview, it affects every response that we have, have in life uh, to politics, to relationships, to education, to finances, to pleasure, you name it. Whatever your worldview is, it determines your emotions, your decisions, and your actions toward that thing. Now, because of that, that's pretty important, isn't it? That's pretty important. So because of that, the foundational premise that we are going to lay for this eight-week series called The View is the importance of having the right lens through which you see God, through which you see yourself, and through which you see the world around you. Now, I'll tell you, in the conversations and the illustrations that we use in these messages, there is a likely chance that someone is going to disagree. There's even a likely chance that I may offend somebody by something that I say or something that we illustrate, but all I want you to do is just give us a chance, right? Just lean in, kind of have an open mind to think through the idea of a biblical worldview, and I believe you're going to be okay. You're, everyone's going to be okay as we work through this. But it's going to be a, a rather intense series because in this series, we're going to ask and answer questions like, is truth absolute or is it relative? Is God sovereign or limited? In the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, is that intentional or is that accidental? Uh, is man basically good or basically bad? Now, I'll tell you what, you're not going to like that one. That's not going to be a good day. I've asked Pastor Chad to do that message. But let me just tell you this. Let me give you a little spoiler. It ends really well. It, it really does. It ends well. It's man basically good, basically bad. Uh, the next one, uh, number uh, six, is your life purpose-driven or is it fate-driven? Is there something behind life that is worth uh, pursuing as, as purposeful or does it just happen as fate? Is evil a thing or a person? How about that one? Is evil a thing or a person? And then week number eight, is Jesus a way or is Jesus the way to heaven? So those are the questions that we're going to ask and answer uh, throughout this series. Now, what I'm going to do today, this is kind of an introductory message, but I'm going to dive right in and give you four primary worldviews that we all live with today. Now, some scholars or philosophers may come up with a few others. They may redefine them or label them differently than what I'm going to. But I believe that there are four primary worldviews that we live with and we see things about. This is how we see the world around us. So the first one is what we're going to call, and I have a, a few signs here. Uh, I know that we're going to ha have to span the room here. But the first one is called material humanism. Uh, again, because of our widespread here, I don't know that I can get this, but maybe the camera can. Material humanism. Now, I'm going to have a little fun here, and I'm going to wear glasses that kind of portray the lens through which we look at these. I don't know if you can see these glasses or not, but they're dollar signs. They're dollar signs. I'm looking at the world right now through a material point of view, right? So material humanism is simply this. It is saying it, it's the belief that this world is all that there is and anything that has value is found in this world you get that this world is all that there is and anything that has value is found in this world now it's not just money it's not just money it's all kinds of possessions it's even how we look at ourselves and, and life i gotta take these guys off man they're driving me crazy but you get the idea right it's the lens through which we look 
But this is the worldview that says there's nothing spiritual about humans. Humans are just physical and we're material just like the rest of the world is. There's no deity. There's no God. There's no spiritual purpose for our days on this earth. You may have heard of atheism, right? And maybe along the way somewhere you met a friend or a family member or a coworker who claimed that they were atheists. This is basically their worldview. They're saying there is no God, there is no deity, there is no spiritual life. We are just here by accident or coincidence at best. We're born, we live, and we die, and that's it. That's it. That's kind of material humanism. So our existence in this world then is basically a survival of the fittest. Those who gain the most out of this world are those are the ones, those who gain, who gain the most out of this world are the ones who have the best life. So we live it up, right? And we take all that we can out of this life. It's like the one who dies with the most toys wins. Right? That's material humanism. Now, I don't know about you, but that's kind of a sad existence, isn't it? Because if that's all that we have, if this world is all that we have, then it makes one's passions and it makes one's purpose so shallow and so fleeting because we know that the things of this earth are so temporary. Things come and they go. And if that's all that we base our worldview on, it is so fleeting. And yet, that is the lens This is the lens through which so many people choose to live their lives today. Now, you might disagree with that because you're here, everyone here and everyone online has said, you know what, that's not me because I do believe in a God. I do believe in a deity. But let me just take this one step further, and I'm not going to go too far with this. But in 2010, Craig Rochelle wrote a book called The Christian Atheist. The Christian Atheist. Now, that might sound like a contradiction in terms, but let me just say this. He writes and he says, welcome to Christian atheism where people believe in God but live as if he doesn't exist. People believe in God, but they live as if he doesn't exist. So here's the question. Does your life, does your life look any different than the atheist? As, as we work things out. Let me, let me just read some of the chapters that he, writes, that, that he writes in here. So this book comes from Titus chapter 1, verse 16, where the, uh, Titus and, and Timothy is talking about the believers and uh, people in the world. And he says, they claim they know God, but by their actions, they deny him. Now listen to some of the chapters. Some of the chapters are like when you believe in God, but you don't really know him. You don't really spend the time to know him. You say that you believe in him, but you don't know him. When you believe in God, but you're ashamed of your past. When you believe in God, but you're not sure that he loves you. When you believe in God, but you don't pray. When you believe in God, but don't think he's fair. When you believe in God, but you can't forgive someone. When you believe in God, but you don't think that you can change. Oh, this one's good. When you believe in God, but still worry all the time. Ouch. When you believe in God, but trust more in in money and on and on it goes. Basically what he's saying is this, listen, many of us say that there is a God, but our actions look like atheists, right? We just don't believe that God can do what God really is, what what God says he, he is. So this is one worldview, material humanism. Everything that's in this world is all that is of value and there's nothing more than that. Now, the second worldview that we're going to explore today is what we're going to call secular humanism. And uh, that's, that's, uh, again, a humanistic uh, point of view. And the glasses that I'm going to wear for this 
I hope I'm politically correct with this. I, but I'm thinking as long as the Chiefs can play in the Super Bowl, I can present myself as a, a chief. Are we good with this? So I'm the chief. I, I couldn't find a crown, but the crown would represent a king. But here's, here's the definition of chief. Chief is the person that is highest in authority. Right? So this is the worldview that says, listen, it's about me. In secular humanism, I am the king. I am the chief. I am my own God. Right? So that means that I don't have to believe in a God, capital G-O-D, because I can be my own God. And because I am a God, there's no human need that I can't meet on my own. So I can conquer anything at all. It's all about me. I can make this work. Anything that has value is found inside of me, secular humanism. Now, in short, secular humanism would say, would say this. It would affirm that by evolution, design, or default, humanity, humanity is Lord of the universe. Again, we don't need this divine God. We don't need a deity because we've got this. Humanity is Lord of the universe. Moreover, at the very heart of secular humanism is the supreme confidence in humanity to solve all the problems of this world, either through technology, through education, or perhaps even through science. Does that sound familiar? It's kind of how we roll, isn't it? Secular humanism is a very, is a very common worldview. This is a philosophy of new age thinking, and it's the thinking that believes that mankind is basically good as human beings, and therefore we can discover the truth on our own. Which leads me to the next worldview that we're simply going to call postmodernism. Let me, let me dwell on this one for a little bit because this is where most people live uh, today. This is the worldview that says, listen, I determine what's right. I determine what's right. I determine what's wrong. I determine what is truth. What works for me works for me, and that's all that I need, postmodernism. But just because I determine what's right for me and what's truth for me doesn't mean that that's your truth. Your truth could be something different. Your truth is what works for you. And your truth may not work for me. Mine may not work for you. But here's the thing. I'll do what I want to do. You do what you want to do. We may look at life through different lenses of, of truth. But you're not going to force your view on me. And I'm not going to force my view on you. All, and, and, and everything will just work out. So we're going to walk through life. And everyone is just happy, happy, happy. Right? These are smiley face. These are like bifocals. I got to look up here. But see, we're going to walk through life. We're going to walk through life. Everybody, everybody is, is good. Man, that's driving me crazy too. But it's, you get the idea? It's, it's like a thumbs up world. Your way's right. My way's right. And we just all get along because we're not going to force our views on each other. Postmodernism says, um, this is the world, by the way, this is the world that we live in today pretty much. It gives everyone an opinion and everyone's opinion is right. You've been on social media lately? Postmodernism says, I determine my own truth, which means there are no absolutes. There is no place, no source where you can go for absolute truth. Everyone comes up with their own truth. Everyone has their own opinion. It's the right one. Can you see the problem with that? There's a problem with that. Now, we've even gone and taken this worldview a little bit farther. Now it's pretty much post-truth because we realize that there are some absolutes because when you say there are no absolute truths, you can say that absolutely 
certain, right? So there's, th- this kind of falls on its face. So now we've moved to even a post-truth culture or a cancel culture kind of thing. So we probably could add another one here. But here's what I want you to see. I want you to see this. These are three common worldviews in our culture today. These are the ways that people view reality, material humanism, secular humanism, or through a postmodern, post-truth lens. That's how we look at the world around us. These are the views that you're going to get, if you, that your kids are going to get when you send them to college. This is primarily what is taught out there. This is what you get when you sit your kids in front of the Disney Channel. This is what you get when you watch TV. These are the worldviews that that come from the media. All of this is so common, so common. But I want to I take you to a passage of scripture today because there's another worldview that I want to kind of develop that we want to leave with and another worldview that's going to set the premise uh, for all of our, our series and hopefully for the rest of your life. Colossians chapter 2 verse 8 is the text that we're going to use as our theme uh, for this series And in this particular book, Paul was writing to a group of believers in Colossae, and it's in a culture that has a lot of false teachers and a lot of different worldviews that have actually warped the Colossian believers' view of who God is. The city of Colossae was very famous for its vast variety of temples and all kinds of superstitious practices. They had temples and and gods set up. This was like the golden corral for gods in the first century of God options. And you could go into Colossae and you could find temples and religious practices for whatever you felt you needed at that moment. There were gods for better health. There were gods for fertility, uh, prosperity. There was even a temple to the sewer god. Not sure what worship was like in that temple, uh, but there was. So the religious custom in Colossae was to assemble whatever package of superstitions and rituals that you felt would meet your needs. That's kind of what this is right here. This is whatever need that you want met, you can find it in any one of these worldviews. Now, the Christians at Colossae knew that they were not to worship in the pagan temples or they weren't to assemble there, but, but they had this general mentality of religious pluralism that actually crept into their uh, thinking and their approach toward God. So many of them assumed that in addition to their faith in Jesus Christ, you needed some other things. You needed some other rituals, some other practices in order to gain spiritual stability and spiritual power. Jesus, of course, was essential to the package. You needed him for eternal salvation, but that wasn't enough. You needed Jesus and something else. You needed Jesus and something more, right? So we might say it's like this. Okay, I believe in Jesus, right? I believe in the Bible, but my experience also teaches me something different. And therefore, my experience is going to add to what I, can, I consider the truth of God's word. And so it's, it, it might change things. So this is exactly where the Colossians were. They believed in Jesus, but they were adding all these other things as well. Furthermore, many of these Colossian Christians had grown up as Jews under the law, and many of them believed that if you really wanted to be right with God and in touch with his power, you had to observe a lot of the Old Testament laws and traditions so they would add to the gospel. So here's what Paul says to them in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. 
Actually, let me back up to verse six. Here's what Paul says to them. He says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, walk in him. So walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now, here's our key verse, verse eight. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition and according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Now, keep in mind, Paul himself was a philosopher. So he's not talking, he's not condemning philosophy as a whole. But what he is condemning is any teaching, any value system, any worldview, any lens that would discredit or dismiss God's word as the source of truth by which we live our lives, removing all the power of God's word, God's sovereignty, God's son, and the power of God's spirit in our lives. All that Paul is saying in Colossians chapter 2 verse 8 is be careful that you don't become captive to this. See, all three of these worldviews, material humanism, secular humanism, and postmodernism can take you captive, right, to the philosophies of this world, to the elemental teachings of this world. Elemental. In other words, this is kind of narrow. This is shallow. This isn't the real way to look at, at the truth. And Paul says, be careful that you don't get caught up in something that is so simple and so shallow like secular or like material humanism and secular humanism and postmodernism because all of these things take our focus off of Christ. Now, there's one more worldview that I need to introduce to you this morning. Uh, and this is the worldview that's going to carry us through the next couple of weeks as we build our biblical worldview. And that's simply what we're going to call it. That is a biblical worldview. So in addition... Or, or in contrast, in place of all of these other worldviews, we're going to focus on what we simply call a biblical worldview. And that the definition of this is simply that the Bible, the Bible, uh, is the lens through which we look to determine absolute and eternal truth. This is the lens through which we're going to look. The word of, the, the word of God is the lens through which I am going to look to make sense of reality, to understand my purpose in this world, and most importantly, to understand what absolute and eternal truth is. Are we okay with this, church, so far? This is the lens? Give me a head nod. Give me, a, give me an affirmation that this is okay, right? There, there we go. This is the lens we're going to use. Now, if you're sitting there thinking this morning, and you're thinking, wow, that is narrow-minded. It is. It is. But this is the only lens. This is the only lens through which I can look and not have some kind of a, a warped or clouded view of God and myself and the world around me. Everything else clouds it. Everything else clouds our, our view of God. All of this clouds the real view of ourselves. All of this clouds the view of the world that's around us. This is the only lens that gives us the clarity. Now, th that's why Paul says, listen, be careful. Be very careful for those of you living in this world that we don't get caught up in this, that we're not taken captive by this. To truly understand God, myself, and the world, I have to begin with this, but not many do. Not many do. Let me, let me give you a few statistics. 
I always hesitate to use statistics because they are just that, right? And they can be shaped and sometimes they can be molded. But this is Barna Research Group just a couple uh, years ago. 60, 60% of Christians believe that living together outside of marriage is acceptable, 60%. 44% of churchgoers today believe that biblical marriage is between one man and one woman, only 44%. Only 10% of believers make their moral choices on what the Bible says. 67% of teenagers say the church will not play a part of their lives after they leave home. 67% of teenagers claim they're going to check out. May that never be at Grand Point. Amen. And listen to this, this one's gonna stagger you, but only 9% of Christians believe that the Bible is the single source of absolute and eternal truth. Less than 10% of believers consider the Bible as the lens through which we view absolute and eternal truth. You see what has happened? We've got caught up in all of this. It has happened. Only 10% of believers would say this is the worldview. This is how we're going to see God, ourselves, and the world around us. Now, what do we do with that? And why is that, why is that important? Why does that matter? It really brings up the question, is this something that we as Christians should still pursue? I mean, we're now living in a modern age, right? And maybe, maybe this is something that was just written in the past. Maybe this is something that, that isn't relevant anymore. Maybe with all of the science and the technology and the experience we have in our world, maybe this is something. Maybe this is something that we need to replace the Bible with and kind of lean into this because the Bible is ancient. This was written in times of old. I've actually had people say to me already, this is not up to the times. This is not up to the modern age. So maybe we just need to put this aside until there's a revised edition that comes out or a new edition and kind of lean into this. But I would just say to you this morning, the answer to that thought is no, not at all. This still works. This still works if we use it as the lens through which we see and understand life. I love the scripture from Isaiah 40, verse 8, where the prophet Isaiah says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. The word of God will stand forever. And I don't know if you believe that or not. I'm not sure where you're at today. I'm not sure what lens you use to see the world around you, to see God, yourself, and the world. But if it's any of these, I would just like to challenge you this morning because uh, the, these, these are not going to work through the, through the rigors of intellectual arguments. These are not going to work through your personal experience. But I tell you what, this will if you give this a chance. If you look into the Bible and use this as your source, this is actually really the only intellectual argument that, actually, that, that does work. But it's not only intellectual, it's experiential as well. God's word does make a difference. Now, let me tell you the difference or what a worldview will do. And this is going to be powerful. This is going to set this up this morning. But number one, a biblical worldview gives us a deeper understanding of God. Many of us want to put God in a box. We want to kind of put God in this framework in which we can define him, in which we can create him. We want to contain and we want to frame God in our image. 
right? And we do this even so much that we want to create a God who functions in this world the way that we want him to. We want a God who functions for us. We want a God who agrees with us. And so what we do is we even go to the point sometimes of making our plans and then we ask God to bless that. You see how that works? So sometimes we want to shape God. We want to make God. But here's the thing. As we learn about him and as we learn about his ways from the Bible, and by the way, you can know him. You can understand God and know his ways because it's all written in here. This is the revelation that he's given to us about himself, about us, and about the world around us. You can learn all about that. And the more that you know about God and yourself and the world from the Bible, listen, you will understand that there is no other person, no other source or truth that makes any sense at all. It doesn't make any sense at all. Everything else falls apart. Material humanism misses the point. Secular humanism is, is a pitiful way to live your life, and postmodernism breaks down at every level. The truth, who is God himself, is the only thing that makes sense if you really pursue this and study it. Knowing God, listen, is the greatest knowledge that you will ever have, but to receive it, you need to read it. You need to ponder it. You need to, you need to meditate on it. The very first Psalm, it says in Psalm chapter one, verse two, blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Let me ask you, do you delight in God's word? Is it a delight to you? If it's a chore, it's not going to work. You're not going to get a biblical worldview if reading the Bible is a chore. If it's something that you feel like you have to do, it's not going to work. But if it's a delight, you're going to get to know God. You're going to lean in. You're going to discover uh, more about him, about yourself, and the world around you through this, uh, through this biblical worldview. See, the postmodern view uh, of... of uh, of man is not going to do that. Now, the biblical worldview gives you a deeper understanding of who God is. Second thing it will do, it will give you a deeper understanding of ourselves. See, the postmodern view of man says, man is basically good. Oh yeah, there's a few things that I'm gonna pick up and I'm gonna learn some bad things or maybe you know, the world around me is going to you know, manipulate some bad things in my life, but it's nothing that I can't overcome. So I'm basically good. I really don't need a savior because I can fix it myself. Things are not bad enough that I can't control it and kind of come, come back from it. So um, furthermore, I know people that are worse than me, right? So if I compare myself to other people, I'm looking pretty good. Uh, compared to them, I'm really good. But the Bible actually gives us a totally different view of ourselves, one that many people do not like. And we're going to get to this in one of those messages coming down the road here in just a few weeks. But let me give you a verse from, from Romans chapter 3, verse 10, where Paul writes and says, As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. Not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. You might be arguing with yourself right now and in your own mind, you're like, that's not true because I'm good. Listen, I, am, I, I have a righteousness about me. And, and listen, postmodernism says, yeah, there is a self-righteousness. We, we can make ourselves feel pretty good and we like to think of ourselves as being good. But the reality of scripture says, no, in and of ourselves, man, we're, 
we're bad. We're bad, but, but, but there's good news with all of that. There's good news in this biblical worldview. And so uh, we do need a savior, right? We really do need a redeemer. And the biblical worldview is going to give that to us. And listen, that's our message. That's the message. That's why we do what we do. If we were basically good, we really wouldn't have any business coming to church. I mean, we could come and make ourselves feel a little bit better, maybe incrementally try to improve ourselves, but it's not that. We're here because this does not work. We're here because we need something that does work. Number three, a biblical worldview shows us a a, a real uh, sense of our, our real selves and our need, and also it gives us a deeper understanding of the world and eternity. So a biblical worldview gives us a deeper understanding of God. It helps us to understand ourselves better, and it also helps us to understand the world and eternity. You need to know that this world as we know it is not all that there is. It's not all that there is. In fact, the more and longer you follow Christ, the more this world becomes uncomfortable for you. Now, I know that we try to make it comfortable, and that's kind of one, that's one of our goals in life is to be comfortable. But in contrast to material humanism, right, this world is not all that there is. There is more. There's more to come. And, and, and this, the more that you, you understand who God is and who we are and how God's working, this world becomes very, very uncomfortable for us. The more it does not feel like home to you. A biblical worldview helps us discover the truth that even though we were created in this world, we were not created for this world. And that's why Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world because you were not made for it. You weren't made for this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. Listen, church, there's so much more than this life offers. There's so much more that can consume the very heart of the Christ follower, and that is discovered when we lean in and discover the truth of God's word. Let me wrap this up this morning by giving you two stories. And this is just going to require a little bit of audience participation. I'm going to read these two stories, and I simply want you to tell me which one is the best. Number one or number two? And I think this will be fairly easy for you. Let me kind of wrap it up and summarize it all like this. Story number one is this. We live in a world with many, many beautiful things, and yet much of it is desperately broken, including people. But nothing can be done about it except to survive it and make it marginally better until we die. After that, there is nothing. Story number one. Story number two. We live in a world that has many beautiful things, and yet much of it is desperately broken, including people. However, we believe in someone that created that beauty, and the brokenness is not his doing or his intent. He intends good for both the world and the people in it. In fact, this creator cared so much for his creation that he became one of us and took all of the pain and the brokenness of this world on himself, even to the point of dying for it. 
And yet, even so, that is not the end of the story, right? He rose from the dead, and now he is recreating the world, beginning with those people who will love and follow him. One day, yes, one day, he will fix absolutely everything, and he will restore the beauty with which the world began, and we will live, and we will reign with him for all eternity. Amen. Oh, let me ask you, which is the better story? Is it number one or is it number two? Right? It's two, right? It's two. That's the better story. Listen, God's story from beginning to end is the most beautiful thing that you will ever hear, see, or read. On the other hand, the human story is so ugly, extremely, extremely disappointing. And if it weren't for the fact that God stepped into our story and became part of his story, we would be living in a pitiful existence. But because God chose to step into our story and give us the truth of his love for us and the fact that he took our sins and and is now recreating us to be like him. This is the story. This is the lens through which we see God, through which we see ourselves, and through which we see the world around us. And so all I want to do is I want to set this up, this this whole series, uh, by telling you that the Bible is not just one story that stands as an equal among other stories. The Bible is the story. It is the story. It is one story. And it's a beautiful story. It's the story with the punchline, right? We know what has happened. We know the truth. We know what's going to, how, how it's all going to end. We don't live with the speculation. We don't live with theories. We live with the truth. We live with the punchline and we begin to see God and we see ourselves and we see life as it really is. I want to pray for us this morning because I know this is going to be real intense as we unpack this in the weeks to come. But here's what I want you to do. I'm I'm just going to pray that we all leave this series having either received for the very first time, claim this, or we've renewed our biblical worldview and we begin to see the world around us as God desires us to see it. All in his plan, through the lens of the truth that he has so graciously given and revealed to us. Amen. Now let's pray together. Let's pray. God, today, I just want to thank you so much for who you are. And I want to thank you for allowing us to live in this world, this beautiful world that you've created uh, for us. We recognize that there are many, many voices that are so active in this world around us. There are voices that are calling us to go this way. There are other voices that are calling us to go the other way. There are voices that say, believe this, and voices that say, believe something else. And some of those voices can just cause so much doubt. They can cause fear and confusion in our lives. And so today, we're coming together on this Sunday, this first Sunday in February, and we're praying together as a church that we would hear your voice, the voice of your word, that we pray that it would be louder, louder than all the other voices in the world around us. So my prayer today, God, is that you would stir within us at the very least a desire and a willingness to give your word a chance in the competition of voices. And at the very most, God, I pray that your word would so shape our lives so that we might live in the fullness of your glory, see ourselves as created in your image, and view the world through your eyes and your heart with compassion. God, I want to thank you that we have your truth. 
And I want to thank you that we can just take these moments and unpack it and begin to discover that truth of who you are, who we are, and how you're working in our world around us. God, I know that we'll all be encouraged. And so my prayer would be, Lord, that you would speak. Speak to us. May we hear, claim, and live the voice of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. And we hope you join us for the next message in our Teach Us to Pray series. Connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at grandpoint.church. And until next time, remember that you belong here.